0: Once upon a time, long, long ago, actually, no, it was just a few years ago, the people of Montreal, Quebec got really upset about a missed offside call. And as a result, all of the rest of us in the hockey world had to pay with one of the dumbest rules in all of sports that now, even though modified, will still exist. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this the newly reborn DK Sports Radio podcasting network. This is daily shot of penguins. I also do daily shots of Steelers and Pirates if you're into the football slash baseball thing. I would encourage you to check those out as well on this same network. The NHL and the NHL Players Association last night issued a lengthy list of coronavirus guidelines and rule changes and things that will have to be different in the 2021 season. The only thing of consequence out of all of that was an amendment to the way offside challenges are now reviewed. For anybody who doesn't know, the Canadiens and the Tampa Bay Lightning were in a playoff series a decade ago, which feels like the last time the Canadiens were relevant, with all due respect to them having knocked the Penguins out (laughs) this past summer. And the Lightning scored a goal, an overtime goal, in which the player was very clearly offside. This brought up a howl that could only happen in Quebec, with the the passion and the generational roots that are planted there for this sport. People just freaked out over this. How very similar. Uh, I'd say to what happened in New Orleans with the NFL and the pass interference rules a couple of years ago. And the league, meaning the NHL, reacted the same way the NFL did to the Saints controversy by saying, oh no, what do we do? What do we do? We got to change this rule. We got to change it. We got to put something in. When in fact, they needed to do no such thing. The NFL allowed reviews and challenges pass interference for all of one year. And then they were like, this is stupid. Why did we ever do that? So they scrapped him. In hockey, no such thing happened. Instead, coaches began challenging every other goal. Because why not? Because why not? It's 3-3. There's a minute left. Your opponent scores and the play looks at least a little close at the blue line, of course you're going to challenge it. You have nothing else to lose. You just lost the game, essentially. Of course you're going to challenge it. So everybody started doing it. The league adjusted to that by limiting the number of challenges and then punishing teams that sought challenges and lost them by charging them with their lone timeout. None of which changed the real problem and that is that this rule really flies in the face of reacting and responding to the fastest game on the planet. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by Warrior Alpaca Socks. What makes these socks different is the alpaca fiber used in their construction. It's stronger, softer, far less irritating to the skin, more breathable, warmer than wool. Warrior alpaca socks are also hypoallergenic with a wide variety of styles and colors. Outdoor work socks, cozy bed socks, lightweight diabetic compression socks, they all look and feel great. You can have them by visiting warrioralpacasocks.com. Alpaca spelled A-L-P-A-C-A. Use the code DK to receive 15% off your first order. One more time, it's warrioralpacasocks.com. Use the code DK for 15% off, and that deal is exclusive to listeners of the Daily Shot podcast. So what the NHL did last night was they modified the review process to now look at at the player's skate, not where it's touching the ice or if it's touching the ice, but where it is in relation to the plane. So again, to draw another football parallel, it's the plane of the goal line. Uh, In this case, it's the plane of the blue line. Once the skate has passed the plane of the blue line and they claim to have cameras that will definitively show that, they don't have to worry about whether the skate is physically making contact with the blue line, whether or not the player has to rip up his groin to try to stay onside. And you're now going to see goals that are scored. (laughs) With guys with their foot three feet in the air, very much appearing to be offside, but their leg will be like way up high. It's going to look silly at times, and you're going to think, wow, that that player really looks offside. What they really needed to do, and it would have been so much easier, is to just kill this stupid thing. The number of goals that are scored on plays that are legitimately offside is not that high over the course of a normal regular season. It's certainly not high enough that you have to go through all these technological hoops and all this controversy to address it like this. The main objection that I've had all along to the offside challenge isn't that the Canadians and their fans whined about it and thus created it. It's that it's yet another thing that keeps the fan from celebrating a goal spontaneously. And that doesn't help. That doesn't help. When you're in that arena and the Penguins score, you want to go flying out of your seat with both arms in the air and high-fiving everybody around you. I'm, of course, referring to normal times, not now. And you don't want to sit there and wonder, wait a second, Did the Penguins enter the zone 35, 45, 50 seconds ago? Because that's the way this is. There's no time limit on this. You could have a shift, like an old-school Detroit Red Wings shift, you know, when they had the Russian Five, when you would gain the zone and skate in circles and, and just have the opponent's head spinning and... Possess the puck and wear them down and do all this great work. And then it ends up in a tap-in goal that had not a thing to do with how you entered the attacking zone offside by a millimeter. And you're ready to wipe that away. For what? For what? Because some people in Montreal were mad a few years ago. Let this stupid rule go once and for all dumbest rule in sports i never abandon that stance even when i'm discussing other sports there's nothing dumber than hockey's offside review challenge the worst when we come back hopefully something more pleasant to discuss with just one question Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question. That's brought to you always on this program by our good friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. They're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need. We're here for you when you need us, is their motto. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, go to pittsburghfoodbank.org slash get help. Today's question comes from Chris, who asks... Are the Penguins better off on the blue line by picking up Cody CeCe and dropping Jack Johnson? That's not exactly the way the exchange was made. And I'm sure you know that, Chris, but I'm sharing that with the listeners. Uh, they didn't send out one headache and bring in another, which I'm pretty sure is what you're implying there because Cody CeCe comes with a lot of the same reputation and level of popularity among fans in Ottawa and later Toronto. Uh, He is not anyone's analytical darling. Same as Jack. Uh, Jack was lower on that scale, if it makes you feel any better. But I really don't think this is going to be about a one-for-one type exchange anyway. Patrick Hornquist was sent out for Mike Matheson. Matheson is going to take Jack's spot on the third pairing. CeCe is the right-handed guy who will be on that third pairing with Matheson at least to start the season. I don't think it's a given that he's got that spot locked down for all 56 games. I really don't. If that were the case, I don't think you would have seen Jim Rutherford bring back Yuso Ricola. I don't think you would hear everyone in the brass speak as highly as they do of Pierre-Olivier Joseph, their top defense prospect, who's now like number nine on the depth chart. And for that matter, I don't know that you'd even have brought back Chad Ruweedle for a third consecutive year as that spare part defenseman who watches games from afar and just plays when needed. There are other options. Besides C.C., I think that third pairing will be judged most fairly as a collective. And within that, I think they'll be judged most accurately based on their penalty killing. No one really likes to do that. We like to look at 5-on-5, especially from the analytics standpoint. Everything is 5v5, 5v5. Because it tells you a lot about that player's performance but also their talent level what can they create whenever everything is even on the ice or in the case of players like jack johnson and cody Ceci, what can they not create or in the case of mike matheson how much does he really struggle in his own zone what the penguins need more than anything out of this scenario is for the third pairing to become solid defensively and on pk and they have to be that together Defensemen work in pairs way more than a lot of us are comfortable admitting, and I'm guilty of that myself at times. I'll look at an individual and not realize that, hey, how they feed off or work off the other guy makes a really big difference to their games. We have seen so many times where players can either stabilize one another or drag one another down. A lot of analytical pieces were done about Jack Johnson dragging down, well, pretty much everybody on the ice and being responsible for the virus and everything else. But it's funny that we also saw at times, and even the most diehards on the analytics would acknowledge, that there was a a span there where Justin Schultz and Jack Johnson made for a fairly reasonable pairing whether they were second pairing third pairing however it was that you wanted to number them why they just kind of figured things out they talked to each other they communicated all the time jack's a really good communicator and teacher any of these guys will tell you that there's a lot of things he can't do out there but he's strong in that area How are these guys going to do together, Matheson and CeCe? That's the real question. I don't have that answer. I have no earthly way of knowing that. We've never seen them together, and I've seen very little of them that I'd pay attention to separately. On top of that, Matheson comes with a high-end skill set. And it's going to be very interesting to me to see how – Mike Sullivan, and Todd Reardon, who's going to be responsible for the defenseman, work to ensure that you don't clamp down on that, even while you're trying to make sure that he simplifies and steadies his game in his own zone. In Sunrise, everything that Matheson did when he had the puck, for the most part, was good. And not least of which is that he could carry the puck out of the zone, which is something that you don't see a lot of, or didn't see a lot of, from the Penguins' blue line in the 2019-20 season. So you'll like him when you see him with the puck. You'll go, wow, that's a heck of a trade they made. What you have to watch is what he does without it. How do you ensure that this player is still going to be all that he can be offensively and joining the rush and all those other things that Solly likes, while at the same time not costing you? by being grossly out of position or irresponsible, as Matheson has been known to be. He's the key. It's not CeCe. CeCe if, he, if, if CeCe's no good, you can sit him. Matheson's tougher because of the $6 million uh, contract, because you gave up Hornquist to get him. He's going to play. He's going to play almost unconditionally. The other guy, you can sit and try some other guys. I don't, honestly, I am I have no problem with that. I have no problem with that. I don't mind seeing more of Ricola. I definitely don't mind seeing Joseph break into the NHL. Um, I think that actually makes for an interesting dynamic. The only concern I have is that those guys I just mentioned to you are left-handed and would be forced to play the right side, which is yucky on a lot of levels. But I hope that answered your just one question, Chris. Thanks for that. Thanks to everybody for listening today.